Your wish is my command. Everybody, my name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor, a podcaster. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. On this episode is the one and only Graydon Parrish. I'm very excited for you to hear this. We had a great conversation. Um, I already had a great amount of respect for Graydon before our interview. His skill and talent as an artist is undeniable, to say the least. Um, He's also an accomplished writer, a speaker, a researcher, and I'm sure most of you know about his contributions to the Charles Barg Drawing Course book, um, he's also done tons of research and presentations on Bouguereau, and uh, I know I'm I'm leaving out much, much more that would be on his resume, but um, in addition to the respect I already had for him professionally, I came out of our interview um, just really liking Graydon. Um, I knew him a little bit. We both live in Austin, so there's been a few times uh, we've gotten together with mutual friends, but... This was the first time I, I got to just really sit and talk one-on-one with him, and I I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, so, again, I'm excited for everyone to hear this, so enjoy. Graydon Parrish, welcome to the studio. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you. Um, been looking forward to this, so uh, so thanks a lot for, for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so I wanted to start with you coming or returning to Texas, I guess. How long how long have you been in Austin now? Um, I moved to Austin from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, really Boston and Amherst, Massachusetts in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was suffering from Alzheimer's disease, and I just decided I needed to be around him for the, uh, the time that he was still cogent. And, and, uh, and it was a, actually a good decision. So it was just good to be back and and get to spend that time with him. It was really great, and I never thought I'd move back to Texas. I had grown up in East Texas and kind of felt my um, leaving Texas was permanent. Um, I loved uh, yeah. the East Coast. I loved the museums. Um, but uh, I did come back for family reasons, and I've stayed because I really fell fallen in love with Austin and its people. That's great. Yeah, So so how was it? When you got back here, what were some of the first things that you did to um, just sort of acclimate yourself into the into the community and get just kind of lay down um, roots, I guess, for your for your career here? How did you what were the things that you started to do to meet people and to find collectors and, and just get established here? Well, when I was first here, I was still showing at Herschel Adler in New York. So I was basically making paintings for them. Uh, but mm-hmm. I quickly got involved with charity of um, charities that I felt um, 
connected to. One was the Octopus Club, which is a charity that raises money for uh, people who are suffering from HIV AIDS. And I met uh, people on their board, really, and um, mm-hmm. got involved in that. And also it's a pretty close-knit community. So if you meet somebody on the board of a great organization like the Octopus Club or AIDS Services of Austin, they're also on the board of, of Zachary Scott Theater or the Austin Opera or are heavily involved oh, okay. in fundraising in different areas. So uh-huh. um, it was really an unintentional kind of well, it was a gentle kind of networking. I didn't set out to to make that happen, but um, but again, Austin is it's kind of a big, small town, and a lot of people who are generous in one area are generous in another. Mm-hmm. I lo- I like that. I think we've you know we've been talking, and um, you mentioned that you've sort of kind of gotten out of the basically out of the art world, and your your career has kind of become um, in a lot of ways supported through commissions by by people who are not necessarily in, you know, through the gallery scene or a traditional kind of um, in maybe the traditional places that you might find collectors through the gallery scene and that kind of thing. Is that? Um, sure. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I loved Herschel Adler and I loved working with them. And, you know, I think that people, my, my, the problem with the way I work is I work very slowly. I mean, you, you know, I've talked right. about this. Atelier, post-contemporary kind of work often takes a lot of effort. I, mean, I can spend anywhere from two months to two years or more on a painting according to the size, and that doesn't really fit the gallery model very well. So, yeah. for example, if if I had a show, I'm laughing. If I tried to do a show of so ten paintings, that may take me several years, and then the gallery takes fifty percent of that. Um, right. And and that just is not a very nice way to make a living, no matter how much effort you put into it. And galleries are competing against other galleries, and you know they're 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 having to price your work according to what they think they can sell. And, and Herschel Adler did a good job of that. But I kept finding that I was connecting directly with collectors. I mean, I would go out and talk art with them, and they'd become very interested in me, and not just buying art, but buying art by somebody that they liked and appreciated, and who shared similar values. And outlooks, and I just more and more I replaced the art that I was selling in galleries with art that I was selling directly to um, patrons. And mm-hmm. I know they're they're not, Danny, they're not exactly people who have big art collections, although some do. They're just people who like art. They're not doing right. it for prestige. They're not doing it to get attention for the amount they're collecting. But they'll, mm-hmm. uh, for example, one collector I have in Austin. She and her husband are, are very insightful, and she's on the order the opera and they have a range of, of paintings from abstract to um, classical and and I, and I like that and we had a discussion about what they liked and and I made a painting that would not have existed without that kind of dialogue right that's great so just kind of being so it's, it's sort of just really happened organically it sounds like just sort of getting to know people and then them getting to understand who you are and seeing your work and um, so yeah, I think that's interesting too. So these aren't people that are necessarily looking for um even they're not looking necessarily looking for art, I guess, or or even looking for representational art. Is that could you say that? It's it's probably, you know, I found that I couldn't have a you know, when you, know, you and I look at the art world from the outside and we're part of this um growing worldwide movement that I've called the or when and me and other people have called the um atelier movement, but in the art world, you can't really have, in the fine art world, having a 
a discussion about quality, for example, you know, mm-hmm. um, technique, um, represent, you know, the reality and sometimes you know, reality um, is it, sort of backlogged to uh, theory. But in the other art, other arts like uh, theater and music and ballet and the opera and the symphony, you can still have these discussions. So I can talk about what I believe in, which is great technique, traditions, these kinds of things. And they resonate uh-huh. with these other groups very easily. And and so I found an audience, an unexpected audience, in people who love the arts but don't necessarily like what's going on in New York, uh, such as places like the Armory Fair and and. Uh-huh. We've seen those kinds of shows and the de-skilling movement. So they really are, they really, they really appreciate some of the same things that we talk about in mm-hmm. our daily, um, and what you might hear at the Grand Central and you know, reviving this kind of, of, of work craftsmanship and, and that sort of thing, making an object that's rare and that one spends a lot of time on. I mean, my friends at Zach Scott, they rehearse over and over and over and over again to make the perfect performance. And in some mm-hmm. ways we do that in our painting. So, there's a really uh, organic and very easy conversation that I'm having between uh, people and in, in other other art arts endeavors. If that makes sense to you. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Um, I just I I think it's exciting. I, I really like that idea. Um, any way I feel like any way we can kind of get out of this uh, normal mode. Um, that it's starting to feel really stale and it feels hard to really have a career um, in the, in the traditional way of just sort of selling work through the gallery and or making paintings and sending them to the gallery and hoping that someone, someone sees it and buys it. And, and then if they do, then, you know, you give the gallery 50% and it, it just seems like it's a difficult way to do it and maybe getting even more difficult. Um, so I, I think I, it is. I re- yeah. Yeah, and rents are really high. I mean, I, I know one gallery, the representational gallery, moved from New York to L.A. probably from the rents. And but I noticed that he also has many, many, many artists, and he can't. You know, it's very hard for a gallery that has more than forty artists to pay attention to any one artist. You know. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of are functioning a little bit like consignment shops in a way, where an artist just goes and puts their work on a wall, because just simply because of the amount of of artists that are represented. You see that in Santa Fe, you see that in other dealers go in with all the best intentions, but they realize that the business is difficult and they have to make a living as well. But what I like is that when I sold a a piece at a gallery, you know, often that would go to a collector that I never had another, or uh, I never had any more contact with. Sometimes galleries hold their clients very close at hand. I understand Mm -hmm. why, but, but, for example, in Austin, I have a client who, you know, who want buy a little bit, might buy a piece. I continue the relationship. They'll commission another one, and and I think that that's a very healthy way to have a an art career. At least it, it. I mean, I've never felt more alive as an artist than I do now. You know, I don't. I feel very connected to my clients, and it, it makes painting worthwhile. And I, I mean, I hear myself. You know, this little voice from, you know, it's not the voice that's talking from space aliens, but that inner voice that is, <laughs> it's like saying, you know, Brayden, you're doing this for uh, the Kushners, you're doing this for the Nashes, you're doing for this, for these you know, wonderful people, Max Berry or whoever. And I'm thinking, you know, it has to be really, really good because I have a yeah. direct connection yep. with them and I'm going to see it on their wall, you know. Um, <laughs> right. You know. 
So yeah, you're uh, gonna have to look at it the next time you. <laughs> right, right, and I donated <laughs> a piece to the them, yeah. Boston Opera um, event recently, and and then one of my friends and and collectors came up to me and, and she said, um, "Great, and I were you painting on this the day before? You know, we put it up here." I said, "Absolutely, <laughs> touching it up." You know, but that's 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 lovely, and it's not that I wouldn't have done that for the gallery. It's just I feel even more pressure now to make a, a great work of art, and uh, um, or yeah. not a great work of art, but the, the pressure as best I can make that. So, sure, I I think it's important to feel to feel that connection because um, it's you know there's there's a sense of loss. I I think probably a lot of artists can can relate to when you you spend so much time on this painting and you you pack it up in the box and you send it off and you never see it again and you know I, and you don't know where it goes like you said you have no idea who who got it and or where they put it in their house or how you know how they're enjoying it or if they're enjoying it you just it's just gone and that's it um and i i think that's just a weird thing for us to go through and we put so much effort into the painting and um and not just the not just the the physical labor but you know the all the thought that goes behind it and and to just and then, and then it just vanishes and that's i think that's tough i i really um i do think that's a big deal when you can and know your clients and have that relationship um and i think that's something i know it's definitely something i want to I want yeah, to you know, and that, that's, I never was very good at making art for market. You know, I, I, yeah. playing the game in New York was um, so killing. And for me, it was, it was not something mm-hmm. I didn't, I couldn't imagine having huge teams of assistants, you know, making bobbles for, you know, um, <laughs> you know for, for collectors where they can say, you know, that really it becomes an Arizona's kind of currency where, you know, I have a Jeff Koons heart and everyone knows I paid him a billion dollars for it. And you've right. got one too, and now we know how rich we are. Um, that's a different <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. And I yeah. came into art because I loved it. I mean, I remember right. as a kid, my parents graciously sent me over on a little tour in high end in Paris, and I was just I kind of skipped the group and wow. just was yeah. sort of trying to hide and you know look at these things. And I remember the sort of shock seeing a Delaroche or seeing you know a Veronais or something like that, and and just you know it, it sort of impregnated my soul with this 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 need to make beautiful skillful art and mm-hmm. i was dismayed you know when i went to the art school where that was just not necessarily the thing you know that was it's about doing something that's never been done before I mean, you know you hear the shtick it's gotten very old right. right now but splitting from the art world in the way that i have and creating a community of people who actually agree with me on that level you know we might not mm-hmm. agree on politics we might not agree on on you know how to water our yard or whatever, but we do come together in this idea of, of really a love for the arts and quality. And and it's really, if you, if you can do that, and I say that to other artists, if they can build those kinds of communities, it's very rewarding. You don't ever, right. I'm not, I don't feel compelled to then pick up the latest art news and see who's the hot star at the, you know, at the Whitney Biennial. <laughs> it doesn't interest me. Yeah. You know? And with Facebook, and and which is a bad thing in some ways, but we we build these communities, and I see masterpieces. I mean, the greatest right. work being done today is not getting covered by um, by Artnet. I mean, there are figurative pieces that will 
populate the museums if we had their sanity left in the world in the future. You know, and I sometimes right. I feel like, you know, that I should be spending living in a trailer and spending every dime I have on some of the great work being produced today. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, and, and and it's in Austin. I mean, we have great artists here and great artists. I've seen some fantastic. So we're connecting. Um, but we do yeah. have to build markets. Yeah. Well, right, and that's that's the disappointing thing I think about a town like Austin, and I guess that's why I wanted to talk about your um, your experience coming back here because it's um, I, I think a lot of people can relate, and especially people who have who have lived, you know, in New York or Boston and the Northeast, where you have all these great museums, and then you move uh, to a place like Texas or you know, in so many other places across the country where you don't have that kind of, there aren't the great museums. There aren't, there isn't really gallery support that are, that are even showing the kind of work um, that, that we're doing or that we might connect with. Um, And so was that, was that kind of a, I, I'm sure you knew what to expect, um, but how, how did that affect you at all? Or did you just dive into, you know, meeting people I wouldn't have stayed uh, in in Austin um, had it been that, you know, as much as people, I mean, I remember looking at Austin and thinking, you know, there are no, there's a bland and we have that and they're they're nice. Mm -hmm. They they tend to show um, sort of textbook contemporary art and old masters. So there's a gap in their collection, although they've been very generous to me and I I have a lot Mm -hmm. of affection for the museum. Um, And we have the contemporary now, but they are spectacular private collections in this town. It's and and you don't really get. I mean, I hope they they wind up in museums, and, and if they do, yeah. they're lost on the map. But I've been privileged to be able to see them and talk to people and lecture at various uh, homes. And some of the, it's you know, you, it's, it's I'm kind of speechless. Sometimes you just you can't believe that that. That this is in Austin, Texas, and you can't believe huh. the people behind. I mean, I, there's a woman on the board of the opera, very nice. She has a a, a lovely God word. You know, I was wow. just, there it was, oh. and uh, and and a Fontaine Latour, and I love those artists. You know, and I thought, yeah. wow, you know, um, it's it's really special. And Austin's so diverse now, and um, much right. much more than I anticipated. And Danny, we have a great airport. You know, we, we can go to uh, London, we can go to New York, I right. fly to New York fairly right. frequently. I, I can live in Austin with less stress than I think I could live in New York City. Uh, I know oh, fellow, sure. fellow yeah. artists who are having trouble. It's, it's really the rents. You know, it's a lot cheaper to be right. in a hotel for a month for less than you can have an apartment. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and I uh, guess with, with Facebook and everything, um, you can, you know, you can still have community. Sure. You can still a little bit get that sense. It's not the same as, as sort of... Um, you know, getting on a train and going to see oh. the Met or anything, but um, right. Well, you know, um, and the other thing is Texas. We do have some some museums if you're willing to get in the car. Um, that's Benetonia true. Right. Museum of Art has a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, uh, Greek and Roman collection as well as Hispanic art. Uh, Houston, uh, the Museum of Art and Fine Art Museum in Houston is is a stellar museum. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Rembrandt, Bouguereau, uh, Van Housem. Uh, they don't have an Ang, unfortunately, but they have Jerome. They have uh, lovely impressionist uh, paintings, um, things that are, and you know, Sargent. I mean, we have, we can't mm-hmm. see Met worthy art, but we mean the Kimball, of course, and right. uh, the Dallas Museum of Art. 
And then there's some little museums that are dotted around. I mean, the Elizabeth May Museum in Austin, when I really feel yeah. depressed about the world and the political scene, I go there and I feel here's mm-hmm. this pioneer spirit that uh, Elizabeth May was May, a yeah. sculptress. Yeah, and she came from Germany and she lived kind of in a this um, I would say sort of a frontier like castle, and you can see it's just <laughs> yeah. a marvelous place. So. Um, yeah, I love it. I love yeah. it. I've been there once, um, but yeah, it's great. I, it really is I'm great. so excited about it. Yeah. Oh, and the Umloft. We have the Umloft here, which is uh, better and better. And I, I didn't have a great appreciation from Umloft when I was younger, but as I've gotten older, I really, he really kept the torch of figurative art going uh-huh. for the many torchbearers um, and taught uh, figurative sculpture at UT. And, uh, and, and the, the museum is doing a great job uh, reinventing itself. Uh, under Nina Seeley. Uh, so I think it's, uh, you know, Austin, I, I'm I'm really motivated to make the city more of a fine arts uh, community um, and, and really unite the people that love visual arts. Well, so how do you think, so what's the strategy to that? And and I think this can, you know, people all over the country in similar situations can, mm-hmm. can maybe uh, take that playbook. Um, you know, I, I, when I got here, I had the same, ideas like okay well i can i can do what i can and and try to um you know try to build a community and you know i think in in little ways i've done that but not not nearly uh, i think what i what i hope to and what i wanted to so how do you what is the strategy for for building for kind of raising awareness or building that cuz you mentioned these collectors but they seem to be sort of um you know they have their collections, but it it doesn't seem to get outside of of their community, where it sort of permeates the larger you know the city or the art scene yeah. in the city in a larger way. What, so how do you think? How would you go about making it a bigger thing in the in the city? You know I'm I'm not a good um, salesman in in some ways, but I do think having conversations and building relationships happen. I I know. Yeah. That that the most important thing for artists to do is to um, not just hang out with other artists. I mean, we all love to get together. When I'm in, mm-hmm. um, when I'm out and seeing Sadie Valeri, or I'm at the Grand Central Academy, we have these wonderful, you know, alcohol-coated <laughs> conversations <laughs> right. deep into the night about the world, and we all are amazed. And it's a lot of sort of inward looking. But when I get out mm-hmm. in, in Austin and I make friends with people, you know, diverse backgrounds, um, that the ideas that I have promoted, especially what in post-contemporary art about creativity, skill, and empathy, you know, really resonate. And people are a mm-hmm. lot less convicted, you know. In, I mean, you you can you can go to New York and you can you can talk to an art advisor who will spit blood if you want to say the figurative art is coming back or it's important. But in most <laughs> places, like even Houston, I was there the other day. Um, at a, a fantastic collector's house, and he was very concerned about skill. He was talking mm. about how beautifully made an art object he, he had was. He loved creativity. Um, he just he wasn't immune or, or resistant to uh, the ideas. And so I, I think that you know the problem with the internet yeah. and news is that it paints an us and them kind of relationship when it's it's a lot more nuanced. And I, I think it's especially nuanced outside of big art centers. Um, right. You know, you can be in a Houston, which I think has like the third largest or fourth largest art market in the country and still have those conversations with people. Um, mm-hmm. 
and lots of lots of interesting people. Um, uh, and so I'm, I think that's a secret. I mean, if you're an artist out there and you really want to develop your, you know, promote your artwork and get get your ideas out there, it's to you know spend at least a third of your time out of the studio and not talking to artists but talking to people in the other yeah. arts. And that's that would be my advice. I don't. It's hard to storm the gates, you know, unless I, you had a yeah. huge resources to bring an art fair or something like that. I think it's still just, just having that conversation. And if a lot of no, us do I, that yeah. singularly, we can develop, you know, if you're out there doing it for your work, and then you say, well, by the way, this is a friend of mine, you know, and maybe you, you take on one or another person to remote, and we all do one or two, perhaps collectively, mm-hmm. we'll really raise the, the bar. And, and right. all of a sudden, Austin will be the... To go to, I mean, it you know, South by Southwest was started by somebody like music not right. that long ago, you know? right? And it, there's no reason it can't have an art component to it, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's known as an. Uh, I feel like it. I guess music is is the thing, but it's still known as a very arts town. Um, sure. But it's just incredibly eclectic, I guess, um, sure. which which is great. Um, but there doesn't, yeah. I, I feel like we still need to. I don't know. Oh no, I think you're right. I mean, there's there's more, and and, and we need to have a conversation about why uh, painting is worthy to have. You know, my mm-hmm. my own house is is full of art that I've collected from mm-hmm. various things. I don't care about if it's famous or not. I just care about the quality. Right. You know, because, uh, yeah. Steve Lindbergh, a, a very good friend of mine from Massachusetts, was talking about he had collected some drawings um, by affiliate people and. And the you know the quality of the stuff that's being made is so high that mm-hmm. you frame them up and you automatically for a, a not huge amounts of money have this you know instant old master collection and it's just you know and and that teaching I think you know the, the not only do we have to have a, a conversation about buying fine art but but you know but kind of buck the trends of minimalism i mean they're minimalist house uh houses that you're going up in austin and, and, and whatever mm-hmm. you like about modernism they don't have any art on the wall they might have a plant right in the corner right that's about it and it's too too and you know i'm kind of for this you know sybaritic you know more this you know visual feast and you know and and, <laughs> and i'm just sort of presenting that might might influence people if it makes sense and austin's sort of receptive yeah. to that in a way texans are they're not uh they're not uh, wallflowers most of the time, right? Um, and, you know, and and uh, so I think that that's that's good. But but art, you know, the the thing that we're you know, we, what we don't want in in is this world global homogenization. We don't want small town. We want every I call it the Olive Garden effect, where every town has to have the same mm-hmm. thing. So you go to a museum, and you know, it's a contemporary museum. It'll have check 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 check. There's Cindy Sherman. I mean, I don't know who's big now. You know, uh, but they'll have to have the same. And what I think is much more interesting is a regionalism. If I want to go to Austin, I want to see Austin artists. If I go to Milwaukee, I want to see Milwaukee artists. I want to see things that I can't see in every. I mean, on my yeah, that would be great to see their 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 uh, Monet. You know, that's nice mm-hmm. too. But but I sure. much rather know what's going on. And and I think that's really refreshing. I want the world to be more diverse and bigger and and more ideas rather than having to succumb to this kind of status quo is oh, absolutely. kind of pushed everywhere. You know, I, I don't know why we need another um, museum that looks just the same, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, do you want to, aren't you a little disappointed when you go to Paris and there's McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> you're like, well, yeah, that's, okay, I'm yeah. glad it's open. You know, maybe I'm craving it. Maybe I have one. But when you know, when it, you have this sort of Californication of the whole world, right. it's just not. It's just not what art needs to be about, in my opinion. That's I hadn't. I don't think I've really thought about that that idea much. That's interesting. So, well, how do you think? Um. Hmm. Well, so if you had to put on, uh, what would you imagine, for instance, uh, like an an Austin flavor might be. I mean, I know that's a, that's kind of an out there question, but I'm just trying to think of like, uh, you know, if I went to, well, I guess if we, if you go to Santa Fe, there's a, there's a very particular thing, for example, sure. you, you'd expect, you know, Western art, obviously a lot of, you know, bright colors, um, uh, you know, right. pastel and it's, it's, Western yeah, it's yeah. It's people sprinkled in other things and it works. And mm-hmm. I mean, I like, I like Santa Fe because it's 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 got some consistency. It's why I like downtown San Antonio. I like that it's got mm-hmm. you know it's 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 a mixture of a mission style with 50s modernism with 1920s late Beaux Arts kind of of architecture, and it's somehow kind of this eclecticism is also sort of contained, and it looks very San Antonio, uh, not the right. urban sprawl. Unfortunately, Austin has kind of missed the boat. I, you know, the Capitol building set a wonderful precedent. There's St. Edward mm-hmm. College. Those are older styles. There's a French Legion. Mm-hmm. But we also have this Austin stone. It's beautiful. There's granite uh, as materials and, and blue glass and, 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 and that sort of thing. Uh, just, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I, I'd like to have seen Austin embrace some things that make, make it, um, different than other other mm-hmm. places um i think that it's it's music scene has done a good job with that um, actually and i do like the fact that you know austin imports a lot of uh, very interesting things but but we also have to have an identity and figure out what that might be and it could it can evolve you know i'm not okay. sure i have the thing but i do see when i see elizabeth nay i, I mean obviously she was a classical sculpt, sculptor that mm-hmm. came over from germany bringing those ideas but it seems very texas in some if you've been there, you've seen there's Sam. I think she did Sam Houston, and then she did right. She did all, yeah, yeah. She did all those guys that are in the in the Capitol, which I love. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, you know, um, I, I think that it's possible. We don't need to look like every other every other place. Or if if there's some overlap, that's okay. I don't know if I have mm-hmm. the answer, Danny, but I do know that I just don't. I I'm tired of the homogenization of, and, and I don't want right. everything to to go down because it, it usually doesn't go to the best of everything it goes to the worst you know i don't want right. to just i mean i'm happy that i can get my you know ice extra large iced coffee at starbucks wherever i go but then again where are the local coffee shops i wish i knew that that kind of thing takes a and i think the art's the same way sure yeah i guess i didn't um so we're talking you know more than just painting and an overall um, yeah I, well yeah it's an overall all the arts i guess yeah sure. Sure. And if you move right. to a place and you work within the community and you paint pictures for real people with real ideas in uh-huh. that city, I think your work will evolve differently than other places. Right. I mean, you can see George O'Keefe's modernism evolving in Santa Fe, you know, with mm-hmm. what she painted. Um, and it's it, right, it's based very on well landscape and sure, right. sure. It fits okay. very well into the conversation of, of mm-hmm. 20th century painting, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not, um, uh, New York school, you know, by any stretch. So we, we like that when we talk about pictures. I mean, you, you go to Vancouver right. and they talk about their local heroes, you go to different places, the California and mm-hmm. and, and I like, I like that kind of regionalism, you know? 
Uh, mm-hmm. I think it may speak better to the world being having perspective than if it had not. So, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, you know, I think that's interesting. I I like that. Um, that's a fresh take, I think, because I feel like what I've heard mostly is, um, you know, you don't want to become a regional painter or you want to stay away from that provincial kind of a thing. Right. Um, but yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially if you're going to be um, working with local, you know, meeting the locals and, and developing a collector base there, which seems like obviously a good a good way to go. Um, but yeah, if, if you're going to be doing that, then then you need to sort of embrace uh, where you're at. That makes sense. I guess the other the other. Um, the thinking behind the other way where you, you don't want to become this provincial painter um, is that, I don't know. I, I think that's much more of a, of a kind of married to the, uh, the old sort of the traditional gallery yeah. thing where. Um, the, the, yeah. The positive, the only place that isn't provincial is New York. And as you know, I've lived in New York and it, it doesn't speak for the world necessarily. I mean, we're <laughs> we're, yeah. we're else in the country you go where you're paying you know five thousand dollars a month for a studio um, apartment. You know, it, it's just not a reality. Right. There's not a lot yeah. of reality there in 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 some ways. And I love visiting New York, and I love people who are in New York City, and and I especially love the people who've been there a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I don't necessarily think that that just being there speaks for the world. It can't. You know, it just and it shouldn't well, anymore. Right. You know, so few people it, live like that. You know? Right. It shouldn't in the world. Yeah. You know, the world is going to feel more and with, with social media. It feels smaller and smaller and smaller. And I don't. I. I, I think the way we make it more interesting is just to offer more. You know, treat the place you live mm-hmm. in, a, in a. You know, focus on your area. I mean, if you think about Paris in the 19th century under Impressionism, it, Paris was a, uh, probably somebody's going to check the facts on this, but I. I had read one place that it was had a population around a million in eighteen you know eighteen seventy five in the rise of the impressionism. That's about mm. the size of Austin right now. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be a, a, a huge metropolis to to affect the world in a big big way. You know, and and uh, the, the next great art movement could just as easily come from an unexpected place than it could have been New York City or London or wherever. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, there's just no reason why I think Black Mountain College that started uh, it was very influential in abstract expressionism. I think Austin could be very influential in figurative art um, if we sure. get enough people here. You're here, and I've I get uh, messages regularly from my friends. Uh, you know, even I think Tony Sir and I has has flirted with moving out of New York. Um, he can yeah. speak for himself, but you know, it, having an art colony in a place could just as easily um, make waves. Yeah, well, and this is this is a, an attractive enough town. I mean, Austin has so much going for it. I love living here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, when you're when you're looking to kind of uh, lower your rent a little bit, <laughs> it's, it can be. Although now we're 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 going up in that direction, sure. Too, but sure. but still, we got a long way to go to get to New York rents. But um, so, do you still have collectors? outside of the area or are you are you doing both or is it kind of really centered around Texas? Well, I always, my best 
collectors are in areas that I develop uh, relationships. Um, I have right. collectors in Connecticut, uh, New York. Okay. Um, I have collectors in uh, Texas now. Um, it's basically mm-hmm. where I've been on the ground. I mean, we right. noticed that with uh, elections where you've got uh, people who spend a lot of time in the state, they do a lot better. So I right. think by spending time and talking to people and getting to know them um, that they they respond to what I do, and I'm grateful for that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for the relationships. I mean, it, it, I can't. You know, I just can't thank the people enough who I who I paint for. Uh, in, in as much as it, you know, you become a part of their lives, you meet their families, you go stay with yeah. them at their houses. Um, you know, I think in some ways that was what maybe Florence. I mean, this is a stretch, but maybe you know, maybe in Florence it was somewhat like that. You know, besides mm-hmm. all the other graft you probably had to put up with in living there, you these probably these sure. painters probably had really nice relationships with the with the people who were who appreciated their work Mm -hmm. Um, and i like them i you know some of my collectors are very ambitious about what they want to make i mean they're not they're not doing tiny pictures with me they're doing big ones have you come across um first-time collectors people who you know maybe really had no relationship to to art and then just through meeting you got interested and and decided to to commission a piece or two most of the people, honestly, have had a few paintings, but they've never really okay. thought about commissioning a painting from somebody. And I, I like that. I don't know if, um, if they, uh, you know, what what degree. I, but you know, we. I think as artists, you know, it's a good thing to reach out to people to let people experience art who normally don't. You know, I've been to houses in Austin too that are just chock full. I mean, there's not a, a place on the table that doesn't have a or in the on the wall. There's not even an empty place on the wall. Um, yeah. Uh, and that, <laughs> I have a, I mean, I, I'm really sympathetic to that because that's like me. I have a friend who calls them hoarders, <laughs> even though they're buying expensive <laughs> things. But, yeah. um, but, you know, that, that there's an argument for that and against it. But, but I like, <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be wonderful in some ways in, in sort of this idealistic way that, that people who normally are ostracized from the art world or really can't get into it for various reasons to do have an opportunity to live with visual arts. You know, there, there's oh, yeah. a lot of arguments that should be made for people to sit in front of an image that's still and let that sort of and live with that rather than, you know, being um, zombied to death on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, iPhones. You know, yeah. Oh, not right. really paying attention to the beauty in mm-hmm. the world. Do you see, um, is there an age? I guess what I'm asking is, is there, <laughs> is there a particular age group that's commissioning your work, but not necessarily just your work, um, artwork in general that's, you know, of the type that, that we're doing? Um, I've heard through, through other friends, uh, artists who, where they're, they've actually been told by one of their collectors that they're feeling like it's, it's maybe not the greatest of times ahead for for representational painters um because a lot of the new money and and you see a lot of these high rises that that are going up in Austin which with you know say a 27 year old who's you know killing it in the tech field mm-hmm. and not not really they want you know they want big bold abstract whatever or I guess the other thing that's happening um, is that they're not really 
fine art at all. They want this real minimalist um, feel to their to their big loft. Uh, so, do you think do you do you see trouble in the younger the the people who could afford art who are who are not in not into it? Do you see yeah. a difference in age well, age range? Or? No, no. I mean, I also see people who are new and into tech and into craft beer and you know a lot of of, of, of you know the, the whole hipster mustache thing where they want that. They, there's <laughs> a bespoke clothier and all. So I, mean, I think it depends. I yeah. think that we make our own futures, and I don't think that. The zeitgeist, they, I mean, they happen for a reason. And, and really, those zeitgeists come from multiple shared relationships. Say you have a friend who likes minimalism, and then you get inspired to like minimalism. It's the same way with with, with representational painting. I mean, you see a lot mm-hmm. of these ateliers are chock full of very young people wanting to do this. So I think right. they have friends who uh, who might continue. You know, I think that people building minimalism in a lot of uh, architectural stuff because it's cheap. It's really mm. easy to build the box, and you don't have to carve anything. Um, right. But you know, who knows? Um, there's a, a wonderful book I read that said everything is obvious once you know the answer. So when you look back, the trends mm-hmm. are more easy. It's very hard to predict the future. Um, and I don't right. feel, I don't feel that that's a fate, a complete. You know, I don't think that it's yes. just going to be that way. Um, to answer your question about my collector's age, it, it varies. You know. Right. Um, uh, most of the time, it's people who are not interested, they're interested in bigger issues of, you know, in art. Um, they, they, they treat art as a reward and not as an investment. Um, they think that oh, they, that's, that's you amazing. Know, yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's, I'm not really appealing to somebody who wants to change their decoration in, you know, in six months time. Or move it to yeah. That's part. great. That's, yeah, that's the people those are the people you want to reach. I think the other people I think um, probably can't be reached until they, until they view art that way as a, mm-hmm. as a reward as, yeah. Yeah. And it's something, an educated something that person, the soul, yeah, you know, or somebody, something an educated person does, you know, I mean, there's, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I liked going to a liberal arts uh, college because it was, you know, it, it valued the life of the mind and it's kind of real rounded, this mm-hmm. and I and I like that I like you know, I like you know I think art's a part of that as well as appreciating uh, different kinds of music and, and learning to like things for um, you know it's opera can be challenging um, I mean it's it has kind oh, of right. a, a simple plot line but getting used to it and and then you 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 kind of get the bug um, mm-hmm. and and you know the art market's kind of a bad place in some ways because they promote art as a commodity and that that. If you treat something like a commodity, you really yeah. don't love it. You know, it's, it's right. temporary. And you know, I I want all the art dealers to make a lot of money, and and I have many art dealer friends, but I I think that the best art dealers I know really are placing art into a person's home for a lifetime, not to resell mm-hmm. it. You know? uh, so anyway, and I I don't know the future, Danny. I hope that more and yeah. more people learn to draw because I think that it um, it, it educates you. You know. Um, I mean, drawing that when we talk about plaster casts, this is a bit of a digression, but, you know, somebody mm-hmm. was complaining about plaster casts as one of these atelier instructors. And I said, you know, drawing an, a, a, a copy of a cast is like reading a great book. If you're drawing the Lackawanne, it's it's like reading Shakespeare. Yeah, you know, and absolutely. Kind of the, the corollary between the eye and the mind. I think it's you really start to appreciate what makes the work more great. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very great way to put intimate it. way. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And connecting with history and right. get yeah 
kind of getting back into that place. Like if you're reading Les Miserables, right? You're you're going sure. back into 19th century France. Or... Well, you start to appreciate things, and then you want to preserve it, and you you you, mm-hmm. you make the, the, the that leap that says, well, you know, there were people who loved and lost before us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just we're in, in, in probably not that different mm-hmm. at the core. You know. But they sure could paint well. <laughs> right. They really good. Uh, anyway. So let me let me get into. I want to ask you about your 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 daily schedule. What what does it look like for you? Um, and then and then we'll definitely get into uh, post contemporary. Um, so oh, what's what's a my, basic? What's a yeah, Graydon Parish as, day? <laughs> yeah. What's a what's a typical Graydon Parish day look like? Um, you know what what's you. Do you typically wake up at the same time? Do you have the same uh, kind yeah, of I'm about a seven, or... a 7 o'clock a.m. person. Um, mm-hmm. Any earlier than that, I like to get up when it's light, better than not. Um, yeah. Usually I have um, uh, I have a big coffee fan. I have to have mm-hmm. about three or four cups. I, I like to watch CBS Morning News less now than I used to. And then I walk <laughs> my dog, Mr. Biscuits, who is half Jack, Jack Russell and half... Um, <laughs> Uh, he's he's half uh, Jack Russell, half Dachshund, so he's got about it uh, three or four inches too much on the back. <laughs> 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 Sometimes I go work out um, in the mornings. I have a trainer, and okay. I uh, then I get to paint about nine, and I'll usually paint from nine to s- my best days. If I'm not tired, I'll paint from about nine to five, nine to six, um, and uh, so it's a pretty long day. I I try to paint. Uh, six days a week, um, um, take off Sunday or I'll take off Saturday afternoon. Um, but that, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's it. I'm very uh, slow and I tend to paint things over and over again until I like them, whether or not the person can tell that they've been improved on, I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, we got to satisfy ourselves. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, I, I do that, you know, and I, I've grown a thicker skin with that because I, you know, it used to, it just would bother me, and I, and I think people need to hear this who aren't artists, is that I would mm-hmm. paint something for months and months and months, and people would come and just glance at it, or they say, oh, I like that, or I don't like that. Yeah. And and it's it's very disconcerting. You know, you think, I put all this love into this, and, 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 and then every once in a while you'll get to somebody who's just so nice, they're so, so empathetic and generous that they'll linger. I don't know if you've ever met but met that rare person who will just linger over your work and or linger over yeah. something and um and then that's nice. But um, I think part of it, it's really hard as an artist, I think, to have a um, be very open to the world and also at the same time have a very thick skin. And it's almost an impossible thing to ask of somebody and I've had a hard time balancing that. So I think yeah. when I'm not I'm when I'm not painting I'm probably uh, either drinking wine or or, or licking my depression wounds, my depressed state of soul, or something. How to ameliorate that in some ways? Because it, you know, that I think the things that keep me out of the studio more than anything is just, just um, you know, a bit like depression. Yeah. And I think yeah. other artists suffer from that too. Yeah, I, I think that's it's probably maybe more common than we than we might imagine. But yeah. Um. Speaking of having a thick skin, I, the, the one of the most difficult things for me is is when my wife will say something critical about a painting, or 
<laughs> she did it the other day uh, about the painting that I'm working on, and it just I couldn't take it. I, oh yeah. I sort I had to just go kind of walk away, and it. I think part of it is is that it's tough when you feel like you've put a lot of thought into something and then and then someone just quickly walks up and goes I think you should do this because that's uh, you know that's running my eye off the canvas or, or whatever yeah. it's just so um I don't know and my instinct is to is to just totally dismiss it and go well you're not you know I'm doing right. I'm doing my thing you know and sure. you're not getting my thing so that's that's on you um but I don't know. It's... No, it's 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 interesting. I mean, you. I think that there's a balance between that. I mean, um, you can see people's work. You know, they place it on Facebook. How many likes they get? One time, I saw somebody got fifteen thousand likes, and some of our uh, friends are better at promoting themselves online. And you think, well, maybe that maybe this kind of popular endorsement is what makes art great. But then, you know, on the other hand, people have there's a kitty cat with his little paws, you know, covering its eyes, and that's like 40 million votes or something. So <laughs> yeah. there's got to be a, a line between, you know, listening to other people's opinion and, and not, you know, and then feeling comfortable right. going your own direction. Um, you know, I try. I think that the, the hardest thing is a representational painter, especially one that cares about some of these these issues that we care about is that sort of building that self-criticism up to a point where it doesn't ruin your life. You know, I can, I can, mm -hmm. like, I, like I said, obsess over something over and over again. And I think that's probably pathological at some point. It's just not good for me to do that anymore. Yeah. But, but right. in the act of pushing myself, I think I've gotten, you know, better. I've, I've figured out, uh, you know, I've figured out tricks. Um, so what do you think the what do you think the line is? Because yeah, obviously we we want to push ourselves and and we want to not settle. And if something needs to be repainted, then it then it needs to be repainted. Sure. But where do you think the line is between that and uh, you know something that gets unhealthy? I I, I have no answer for that. I yeah, I know. Both ways. That's hard. I mean, I've cried yeah. and yelled and screamed and. Another one time there was a terrible story, but I, my my studio here has metal a tin a metal roof on it, and they used to have a uh -huh. they used to have a pecan tree there, and I was painting <laughs> this commission for uh, someone in Santa Fe, and and working really hard. It had 13 figures in it, and um, oh, and that it was just, it was right in the time that uh, pecans were coming, and uh, the squirrel was yeah. eating, beating a nibble off them and throwing them. <laughs> on my studio, and bang, 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 and I was you know wrestling with these figures and. And I had a meltdown, and I just went out, yelled at that squirrel, got a water hose, and just started spraying <laughs> all over the trees. <laughs> so that, I think I crossed the line at that moment. <laughs> so when you take the water hose to the tree, that yeah, that's, that becomes that's yeah. that's in the yeah, that's uh, I can't believe the neighbors. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> all those God-fearing Christians that live around me, they probably were thinking that apocalypse was coming, but it was just. Uh, <laughs> A terrible situation. <laughs> That's funny. So, okay, I, well, I, I can't. I can't talk to Graydon Parish and not talk about Poco or post contemporary. Uh, the new new thing, yeah, Poco post contemporary. Yeah. Uh, there's yes, this is our our answer to not being called contemporary. 
you know, well, right. I mean, I remember many of us had said, well, you're not, I think even Jacob Collins in the New York Times said he wasn't an artist or wasn't a contemporary or something like that. Mm-hmm. Gave a few digs. So Poco was a tongue-in-cheek uh, movement where it, it, you know, of all these painters who wanted paint, and it, 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 it's fairly broad, we can talk about that a little bit, but it, uh, but yeah. all these painters, it was sort of felt uh, marginalized or disenfranchised by the art world. You know, that they were artists that, again, were interested in skill. They loved um, looking at, I mean, maybe their first entry into art was, was looking at a Caravaggio or Sargent or something, and they said, you know, I want to spend my, my life doing that. This is what I really, really love. Yeah. So these, you know, and so if they could ever find training and they've sort of done dug in, then they were told by somebody in the art world that their work wasn't contemporary, and, and, and they were saying, well, you know, hey, but, but I'm, a, I'm a living artist. You know, I'm right. alive. I'm, I'm of the moment. By definition, I'm I, contemporary. By definition, I'm contemporary. This is, a, <laughs> this is what a contemporary artist, living person, living in the modern age, you know, grew up on Brady Bunch or, 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 or some kind of, maybe that's stating me, but, you know, uh, <laughs> grew up on, you know, MTV or whatever, yeah. Or even even later, uh, your iPhone. They said, you know, I really want to do this. I'm living, and you're telling me that I'm not contemporary. And so they said, so so we just kind of laughed one day. And Richard Thomas Scott was was there, and he he kind of coined this, and uh, or at least brought it to my attention. And and we laughed and said, well, if we're not contemporary, we're post-contemporary because we just changed. I mean, it, was, it was really it came about yeah. as, as sort of a joke, um, right? Because we had to name us something. We all knew we were living, and we we right. all knew that we were of the moment, and we all knew that we were our ideas were just as valid. And what it what it really was was that people were calling uh, contemporary art contemporary art was a set of styles. If you mm-hmm. were somebody who right. who looked at Dada in 1913 and imitated, and we see a lot of that, then you were contemporary. If you liked mm-hmm. abstract painting, you were contemporary. If you liked right. installations, which were from the 60s, I and mean, we're talking 50 years late you were still contemporary that way it's a set of styles so what we wanted to do is do it you know create this movement or this outlook or and people are resistant calling it movement but it, but something that named a lot of artists who were interested in the same kinds of things um which which we right. talked about skill you know the utility movement answers that and what we were also noticing was that um that art that was Claiming it was creative really, really wasn't that creative. It was again sort of relying on tropes from uh, older artists um, and not really renewing those in a, in a, in a certain way. And creativity, um, I thought, creativity was a much better uh, goal than being original. Uh, you know, oh, in yeah. what a, at least yeah. what a, a, a group of people just who are really concerned with originality is kind of. Dead ended themselves in a way mm-hmm. that's called us mm-hmm. back. Yeah, it's not empty. Going to go. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because it because it, you end up getting well, you know, chewing gum is art, and we see that sells for right. a million dollars. And then someone, yeah. you know, the old adage, someone just doesn't put any art in the room. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just sort of, and that's you know, art's never done that before. Um, you know, and <laughs> and so that original that just didn't work. But if we if I yeah. kept telling people just be creative, which is a really lovely thing, you know, it implies mm-hmm. life and progress and all kinds of delightful things. Um, let's focus on the creative aspect. So the mm-hmm. two two of the three pillars of post-contemporary are um, skill and creativity. And the third one is a little bit trickier. It, it, it's it's empathy. And um, the the reason that came about is that, you know when I was um, when I was thinking about my father when he died uh, he died recently he died about 
three years ago on this disease, Alzheimer's, which is terrible. Yeah. I could turn on the radio and listen to it for music that was sad, and, and I'd go see a play and, and find a connection, read a book. But when I went to uh, the, you know, uh, to Whitney, all I heard was art that was talking about art, right? Right. It was, and as much as they had, you know, they had all the you know, stuff you read, and you might buy the argument or not buy the argument, and some of it might even be kind of dynamic. It it didn't care about. It didn't connect with me. It didn't connect with that mm-hmm. problem that I had. I, right. And I was realizing art really, the artists weren't really empathetic with their audience. You know? So I wanted to create art that that not that that cared not only about what was being made, but who they were making it for. When I when I do my 9-11 lectures, I'm, I'm, I tell people art is for you. We, we're artists. Our job isn't to make this sort of solipsistic, you know, self-me, me, self-expression. This except about art is about a communication of connecting to feel with mm-hmm. you in some ways, you know, to have this shared experience. And I think that those are really unassailable uh, positions. I think that you, you can't, you, art simply must be creative, be skillful, and be empathetic to be great on some level. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have argued with me about that. There may be, you know, I'm, I'm, this is a rough around the edges proposal, but it's also, if you apply art, if you apply these things to art, it's also sustainable um, because at some point you will, everything will become art. If you, if you on that track of originality, if you totally de-skill right. Right. everyone, yeah. then you shackle their creativity. I mean, no one would make the argument that not learning how to read is somehow beneficial to the world, <laughs> or not learning, if you're in tech, not understanding math is somehow better. But but that sort of de-skilling thing is actually proposing that I'm not going to teach you anything, and somehow you're going to be a better artist, and that that's not how the brain works. I mean, that that's just not how we're, we're wired. You're, you're actually right. less creative the less you know. Right. Um, and because you can't um, express it, yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and in saying that it's the it's really a regressive position. I mean, that's anti enlightenment in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I want I like this post contemporary thing. It's it's not it's really open to a lot of different styles, interpretations. There's the West Coast pop surrealist movement. There's the Tatillion movement. There's people who think still lives. There's people, and I I find that I'm able to kind of tell what poco art is just by looking at it. Now I don't know if I don't know if you can, um, or if some people are confused, but that's okay. But we know it's not the kind of art fair art where someone's exhibiting three Coca-Cola cans and expecting us to have reverence over it. You know, that's right. not Poco. Well, so, I think you know it's. I think by by uh, defining these three pillars, um, you know, there, sure, there's still there's you know there's a lot of that could be open to interpretation maybe a little bit, but I think that does a great job of, of really, um, of really explaining what it is. And and it does, it does leave a, a big tent, but it has to be a big tent. Sure. And like. we want Otherwise, it to be a big tent. There's so much going on. How could yeah. you? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think, I think really, again, I think, uh, with those three pillars, I think you do a great job of of really of really saying what it is um, right. without being exclusive. So yeah, I, and I, I, and I, would, I don't I, want to be right. I, I, you know, yeah. I don't like those little infightings that I have. I mean, I think this is a bigger picture, and I I desperately dislike the way the art world went. And it's not because I want 
you know, and, and I, I, I resist that kind of, and again, that bromide that says, you know, you want to be backward or whatever. I don't apply that. I, I think the thing is mm-hmm. that we have, all of us have this one life to live, and how do we want to spend it? And I don't want to right. spend it playing the art world game. I want to spend it making, I want to be able to have the same skills as as a Leonardo da Vinci. I'm not that good, but but I want to try, you know? Yeah. And right. I want to try and make something with those skills that is new in my work. As much as I like paintings in the past, it's I've no one's ever painted the paintings I've painted, and right. the same thing is that and I want to care. I care deeply, deeply, deeply to the point of of I probably even it, it's just about who I'm painting these things for. I care about the artists who are in the, my movement. I care deeply about their happiness and and making sure they make a living as as much as I can help that. And I, and I think these are wonderful, sustainable things. I just can't see an art world that, that is playing the game. It's playing being good for anybody in the long run. It might be good for investors, but you know, it, you know, we think it's hard to, to make a living and to, to find collectors here. Imagine if you were one of the millions of MFA grads, not going oh, wow. out of, you know, not having any skill playing the game and still getting yeah. ignored. You know, they can, you know right. like like Dan yeah. Colin with his chewing gum. I keep I can that's an absurd thing in the world, and he's making a living putting chewing gum on art. I'm sure there's probably at least a thousand MFA grads who've done the same thing and are wondering why they can't even get arrested. Right. You know? <laughs> and right. then they're they're shackled even more that they can't even they, they can't even enjoy drawing because no one's taught them how to draw. Um, well, they couldn't enjoy it, and they probably wouldn't even feel comfortable trying it because all they've heard throughout their education is that that's not it, important. It's Why bad. would you it's, do that? Without any proof, you know, talk about yeah. ideologies. I mean, there's absolutely oh, yeah. no proof that that's bad. It's just somebody made it right. up in some back room somewhere. And, right. you know, and and it's just unfortunate. We, You know, it is a wonderful thing to be, you probably like me, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to draw because you see mm-hmm. things. And that seeing, oh, yeah. Yeah. you see, see somebody's face, that gives you a connection to that human being. All of a sudden, you've drawn that an eye of something you can look in the mirror and uh, at somebody else and think, that's the most beautiful, soulful eye. You, I, I think everybody should take drawing lessons it, just to look at this miracle of the world around us. I mean, it's mm-hmm. truly a miracle that we're here. Yeah, and, it's amazing because you get to slow down. And yes, just, and ignoring ignoring reality yeah. is just that. That's a crime. Right. <laughs> It's it's kind of like I make this analogy with you. It's kind of like you know you you're on the greatest cruise ship in the world and you stay in the room, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. you know, and as an artist, who would want to stay in their room and navel gaze? Like, you need <laughs> yeah. to go out. I mean, reality is the source of everything. Creativity, you know, yeah. and and drawing. You, you know, I've never said that someone has to paint, you know, something accurately in the all the rest of their lives, but doing it once really tells you a lot about what it what it is, you know. And this loss of purchase on reality is just it's the biggest mistake the art world ever made. Yeah. You know, it absolutely. Really, really is. And uh, yeah. um I mean I continue painting representationally because I'm endlessly fascinated by the next subject. No. There's not one experience that I can go on automatic with. You know, even if I mm-hmm. paint ten roses for painting, they're all different. And it just fuels this kind of love that I have for for reality. And right, uh, and and a um, uh, you can't do it without being in focus. Right, right, right. So each, right. yeah, 
and and that's a huge part of of being alive too is just going through your life in focus sure yeah 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 you you they're not it, that's a that's a good thing. It's it's a, it's, a, it's ever present. You know, you're a part mm-hmm. of this world and a part of it, and and we, that's a very important thing. As we've kind of as everybody checks out, um, right, I, right. You know, I mean, Twitter's bad for writing skills, and I think that de-skilling <laughs> is also it's just another form of de-skilling. Um, but mm-hmm. I again, if I'm back to Poco, I I, I don't ever want to make this kind of argument that you can't. You know, again, be be as creative as possible. Show me something that I've never seen before. Create a world, a parallel world of metaphors for life to help me see the world even mm-hmm. better. Um, and I think that it's and, and as you said, well, can abstract art be post post contemporary? And I, I think I think there can be. I think somebody, but again, it has to be. It's got to have that. There's that skill involved in it. There's the time involved in it. Um, and there's a way to to make a, an abstract analogy for. Or maybe a feeling. Um, I, I don't know. It's a harder one to think as an empathy. Yeah, it's there. much more difficult because once you take um, the representational element out of it, it be you know right. you lose all the all the criteria, you lose all the objectivity. Sure, and I think you can take out a lot of the reality and still have have it, but not all of it. it it's it certainly like minimalism is not post-contemporary art. It just can't be. There's just not mm-hmm. enough there. People divine right. meaning into it, but people divine meanings into a lot of things. That, you know, it's just human nature to to, to do that. But I, I, but you're right. I mean, it's it's hard. I, you know, I, it's Poco has some detractors, and I don't know. It's, it's interesting when you see people who are from a bigger community resisting it. But mm-hmm. you know, again, I'm, I don't care anymore. I just I do care about the artists. I just I. I needed a place to find a home in this in this movement. I feel very, um, I feel very empowered. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I I will admit to being not necessarily a critic, but I just didn't quite understand, um, maybe what the purpose was because I couldn't. I just felt like, well, I don't necessarily feel connected to this group of artists who might fall under this umbrella or, you know, so sure. just sort of resisting, maybe putting myself in any of those categories. But I, I think hearing more about it, um, I think I'm much more on board. And I think it's because it's important to, we spent so much time not being able to agree on a term for what we do. Sure. Is it classical realism? Is it, contemporary realism is it whatever there's so many terms out there that sort of get thrown around and they're approximate approximations of of what we do and and this is an approximation also you can't i'm not going to be able to get super specific but there's a lot of baggage you know in the history about realism versus impressionism and all these yeah i think certainly realism is under the uh, banner or the, uh, the rainbow of 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 of, of post-contemporary, but so can surrealism, you know, but if simply right. because these three ideas of skill, empathy, and, uh, and creativity uh-huh. can fit in so yeah. many styles. Yeah. And, and that's what I think that we need to, we just need to agree that these are important and not quibble about the details. Yeah. I mean, because. Right. Yeah. Cause we can, we can, there's, yeah, there can be so much inviting about, well, is it work that's only done from life? Is it, is it oh, I know. It's, it's, you know, yeah. whatever. And yeah. so you can you can break it down into all these different camps, but 
but no, I agree. I think it's great if you if you focus on these three things, then then we can all agree on that at least. Sure. Right? Yeah, and, and they're, I, they're very they're very ennobling. I mean, and they feed into each other. You know, um, having made something skillfully really does. You know, I mean, I since I know I paint, I can be empathetic to someone who who sculpts or somebody who makes cabinets or whatever because I've mm-hmm. spent a lot of time doing something. I'm not just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, one of the unfortunate things about our food industry is that we go and we buy all this stuff, but we have no connection to how it's made. You know, who, right. who's out there, you know, bucking the chickens or growing the, you know, how much energy is to bring this corn that I take a few nibbles on and throw it away? You know, I mean, it's just right. this consumer yeah. culture. You have to make things to have understanding and the creativity you know, uh, Brene Brown, she's a, a great a motivational speaker in Houston. She says, you know, uh, to be truly creative is to be vulnerable. Um, and, I, and I think mm-hmm. that that's true when you, you put your neck out. And you, once you're in the sure. room and vulnerable, you, you, again, this ties into being empathetic to other people because you, 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 you understand how it feels to, to try, you know. Um, um, I just find these things really warm and, 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 and and I and I like you're right. I'm tired of the sort of photograph or not photograph or or side yeah. size versus yeah. the comparative and I mean all these things are just so trivial for the bigger picture of great art, in my opinion. I mean you could you could keep you could there are real conversations to have about how to right. train somebody, but once you're once you're out of that environment, creativity simply demands that you have to to do everything it takes to make a great piece of art. Right. If not, you're not really doing it. You know, you're, you're resting on something that's, that's a tiny part of a bigger picture. If that makes, that's, that's how I see it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Well, Graydon Parrish, it's been so much fun. Thank you again for doing this. Well, I've enjoyed it. I've talked your ear off, but that's what I. Yeah. No, probably, no, that's it's probably Danny because I don't do get here, to yeah. talk this way. I mean, if I people they start to glaze over if I start to get on my art box box. To, to no, I don't it, think so. I, I think if anything, I'm I'm probably disappointing a lot of people by by ending this. But um, well, it's no, good. again. But, well, maybe we can revisit it in a year or so if you're still doing it and I'm still here and see how awesome oh, absolutely. what's happened to the world. But, um, you know, uh, but thank you for taking your time. I really enjoyed talking to you. Great. All right. Well, take care. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Graydon. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay. Thanks again to Graydon Parrish. Um, he is so thoughtful and insightful, and it was a total pleasure talking to him. Um, okay, so I have some announcements. Last episode, I mentioned an Austin workshop with Douglas Flint was in the works, and that has been finalized now. We've already been selling spots, and there there is still room available. Um, this is a workshop that Doug has just developed, and it's called Controlling Color, a master-level workshop focusing on color and light for representational oil painters. And it's going to take place again in Austin, Texas, July 7th through the 10th. And you can go to douglasflintworkshop.blogspot.com to register and get all the info about it. 
Also, the great Scott Waddell returns to Austin, Texas for a portrait painting workshop September 7th through the 11th. Um, That is always a week of great insight and inspiration. Scott is constantly innovating and his knowledge of form and light continues to expand. So it's always exciting to be around Scott and learn from him. So go register for his workshop at scottwaddellworkshop.blogspot.com. And finally... I want to thank those who have emailed me and let me know that they are enjoying the show. It's incredibly gratifying gratifying to hear from people in that way and it it just feeds my soul, man. So so thank you. Um this has been an exciting and challenging endeavor for me and it means a lot to know that you're enjoying it. Um So I'd love to hear from all of you. Let me know what you think of the show, positive or negative. We're growing together. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'm improving as a podcaster from episode to episode. And and hopefully you're enjoying the show um, from more and more from episode to episode. Um, So email me, dannygrant79 at yahoo.com. Let me hear your thoughts and Go subscribe on iTunes. Uh, Type in the Studio Danny Grant in the search box and the show should come up. Uh, Go ahead and leave comments there and give us super off-the-charts ratings and tell your friends. And thank you for listening. I'm going to leave you with a song um, that I think is in the spirit of this episode, and I hope you like it. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.